Radio Book Rwanda. Radio Book Rwanda. Radio Book Rwanda. Ngawa kurui urunda wa kurui urundi ni mnyabungu wanara hienu amuzi chirambu. Kari yaka na nindori mwabo nuri ya nindori mwabo na jendindori mwachu. Welcome to Radio Book Rwanda. I'm Lucky Grace Singizwe. Out in the world, there is a small green book that features a story by Rwandan writer Jimmy Tuyiringire and artwork by Rwandan street artist Souls. This podcast invites you into the universe of those pages and their theme, Modern Myths. This radio book features Jimmy Tuyiringire in conversation with my colleague Eloise and his story, The Thunder Hunter, street artist Souls showing us the mirrors in Kigali, a journey to the root of the myth that inspired Jimmy's Thunder Hunter and the song from Enumugani, or Foktel, sung by his grandmother, Niramagori Dhosel. Here's Jimmy, translated by my friend Dida and interviewed by my colleague, Eloise. His name is Jimmy. He's a graduated in civil engineering and he's also a writer. I wouldn't say that I've started writing when I was a child because I'd be lying. Because for like us who grew up in villages, we don't have book to read. I started when I was reading stories on Nigerian websites and then I had an idea that maybe I could also write stories and put them on uh, online. My website is in Nigeria. Growing up, we had a lot of stories around Thunder, and that Thunder looked like a uh, yeah. yeah, and also that uh, witch doctors would send you a Thunder, and then it would kill you or slap you. And that was something that fascinated me when I was young. How would someone send you a thunder? I was in senior four when grandma told me that she had once seen my grandpa kill the thunder. I had studied the scientific concept of thunder at school and I couldn't understand what she was telling me. I think that refuting her point and trying to beat her with my school philosophy is the reason she chose silence. It's so hard to believe as a, like a, someone who studied physics, as an engineer, so you know that thunder happens when, uh, what touched? The, <laughs> Charging in the sky. The, yeah, thunder happens because of physics effect. It's not like someone can send a thunder. I talk a lot with my grandmother and she always talks about those stories, the myth and all the things that people believe in. So I asked my teacher and he was like, no, that's not possible, it can't happen. That's beliefs. So then I kept like talking to my mother to just hear about myth and all the story that belongs to the past. So that's how I thought it was possible to imagine that Someone can, we can make up a story of someone who hunts thunder because our grandparents believed that someone can send you thunder to kill you. Every country has a history that is deep rooted in their own culture. 
that history is made of parts that in places seem impossible. For example, when missionaries came to Africa, they convinced us that most of our beliefs were obscene. Colonizers told us that our culture was not good and taught us that it would be better if we adopted theirs. And so we followed. We went to their schools, which is not all bad, by the way, as they gave us knowledge. We then felt smart and went back to our grandfather's houses. We told them that the rains fell because of the sun, that the warmth makes the ocean vapors ascend into the sky, which later becomes rain. We told them that our rainmakers, who were widely known to be the creators of the rain, were just liars. We told them that the thunder they perceived in the shape of a cockerel is just the fruit of their imagination. We told them a lot of things that we thought were impossible, and we convinced them that their country's history, that same history they were told by their own ancestors, was just a lie. We turned our backs on some aspects of our history which still have valid evidence. So, do your mother and grandmother believe that thunder is made like this? I mean, you can send a thunder, or do they believe in the scientific reasons? For her, like, she believed the, the fact that it looked like a coal, but uh, for the fact that you could send it to someone so it can kill the person, since the Christianity came in, she doesn't believe in that. So the character of the doctor is really interesting because he seems to follow this line of inquiry which is very rational, very scientific. Why did you introduce him in the story? I thought it would be easier to bring in someone who may believe that in his culture, because I read like in Russia, vampire existed, that those things have, have happened and is interested to know what is the version here. That's why I developed someone who's trying to understand and search and not compare, but learn. I was dreading a barrage of questions from Bion. Luckily, he was decent enough to ask only one easy one. I know that killing a vampire requires a silver bullet, or you have to ram a large stake into its heart. What does it take to kill those thunders? For me, this is the most interesting conflict or the central piece of the story. And I was wondering if there was any kind of message you were trying to deliver with this conflict. When I wrote it, I didn't really want to give any message. But when I read it again recently, for me it's mostly about the things that science can't accept or prove, but doesn't mean that people can't believe in them. Nice. And the crucial part of the story is obviously the inheritance and the legacy of being a thunder hunter. And the central character, the protagonist, is really, really afraid of passing this down to his children because, you know, it's, it's a danger. My worry about who Rutayengwa may have passed the thunder hunting onto was not born of self-pity. What disturbed me was that if it was really me, I would have no other choice except to pass it on to one of my children. My eldest son, Bryant, was seven years old. 
This would mean that after the five years I had to live before I got to 50, I would have to pass it on to him when he reached 13. How ill-fitted would it be for him at that young age? I decided that if I found out that I was the one to inherit this destiny, I would fight against it. Do you think that is reminiscent of people, I don't know, in Kigali, maybe wanting to leave behind a lot of the Rwandan culture? Yeah, it wasn't really my point. My point was mostly about what society accepts or not. Because like now if you're a witch and your parents inherit that to you, the society may reject you. But for the transmission of the history, we all love the history. And that's why I go to my grandmother to talk about history because I want to learn. And I feel like everyone has that uh, willing of learning about the history. I don't want my children to not know where they come from. People need to know where they're from and their history. That's why I will make sure I transmit that to my children. So I come from Kigali and my, my parents come from Gisenyi, but my grandmother died before I could meet her and listen to any of the Meganis. So I asked Jimmy to take me to see his grandmother so I could learn more about our Rwandan folklore. My grandmama, that's where she lives. This is uh, Jimmy's personal grandmother. Her name is Kambibi Lecha. <laughs> I used to come here when I was a kid. He grew up here half the time, so this was like his other home. The grandmother would send him to the market and to, to run errands for her every now and then. To fetch water, to go to the market. Mm-hmm. I used to follow workers in the farm. He would come here in the evenings. He loved stories when he was younger. So he would come here and then they would sit by the fire and then she would tell her imiganis. So he would cry, and he would be crying, then they, they would try to hush him by telling him the Imiganis, so he would keep quiet to listen to the stories. I don't remember me crying. So her grandfather actually uh, hit, um, had a fight with Thunder, actually. She was raised at her grandparents' house, so she heard the story when her grandfather was telling it to other older men. Yeah. <laughs> 
She remembers her grandfather was very, very, a very tall man. And when she saw him when she was very young, she would look at how tall he is. He, he could touch the ceiling. And she would look at his uh, gray hair. And then she would wonder, was he ever a child? He was keeping the cattle and then the thunder hit and then it fell down right in the middle of the cattle. All of his wings were all over the place and then he hit it. People say that when thunder hits, it falls down and then another one hits, which is another one that comes to pick the one that fell down up and take it back to the skies. No other thunder came to pick it up, so he hit it on the neck. Its skin felt as strong as metal. He hit it, he hit it, he hit it, and then killed it. He sat down and thought, it's common knowledge, many people know that in traditional Rwanda they considered the thunders at big cockerels. So he thought, based on this thing, if people thought that thunders were shaped like cockerels and they killed people, there must be a way that uh, they protected themselves. So maybe there were people who were just there to hunt uh, thunders, just as they were rainmakers. When I last talked to Rutarinwa, he told me that the thunder won't die unless killed by Umujigi, a destined thunder hunter. The more thunders a destined hunter kills, the more powerful he gets. But he can't live for more than 50 years. He also told me that getting your hands on the thunder is nearly impossible. Once you get your eyes on it, you hit its head with a club. To kill it, you throw a spear at it with a thunder-killing poison. As you saw from Rutarinwa's body, a thunder has everything except pity in its savage slaying. The first thing it does is pluck out your eyes from the sockets with its nails. Then once you are blinded, it will kill you slowly. When I talked to Jimmy and he told me that Umujiji was not an actual person in Rwandan history, I was shocked because I thought that actually the Thunder Hunters existed, like he said. So we went to Jimmy's undergrandmother, who also has a great influence through Jimmy's story. And then she also told us a lot of other Imiganis. And here is one of my favorites. So it's a Mugani about a child who would steal things. His name was Ndoli. During that time, when thieves were caught, they were killed or they were drowned. So the, this child stole things and uh, other kids would run after him. So he would run and find a house with um, an old woman in it. He would cry out to her and say, help me, please, they're trying to kill me, they're trying to kill me. And the, the old woman would ask him, why are they running after you? And he would just keep crying out, 
help me, help me, please. And then the old woman would either show him a place to lie down and then she would take a lot of mats and lay over him. They wore skins of animals, so sometimes a mother would hide him under the cow skins that she was wearing. And then the kids would come and ask her, did you see this child? Then she would say, I did not see anyone. And then they would say, but I, we saw him come here. Are you sure you did not see him? And then yeah, she would say, no, I did not see him. And then the child would sing. If he went to a place where there was nobody, he would hide inside and then he would sing a song. It's a threatening song because he alludes to there being something in the house, like an animal that could eat them. So when he is under the grandmother's skin that she's wearing, he would sing this song. When they would hear it, they would get scared that there is some beast that's going to eat them and then they would run away and and wait for him to come out um, and after time has passed the child would get out and then run outside again and then they would see him and then run after him once again that's it there's no ending they don't catch him <laughs> yeah the song is very different from the way in the past to Rwandan sang. It's it's a very different story. So when you listen to that song, uh, you feel like it's taking you back. It's a beautiful song, it's a beautiful voice, and I think a very, very, very few can be able to sing like that. It's time to head back to Kigali. Tucked away down an alley in Kigali, three huge faces are painted along a breeze block wall. We chose images of these huge figures to sit alongside Jimmy's Thunder Hunter. The murals were painted by Souls, a collective of three artists, Salma, Hamza, and Shingiro. Here, they are talking about themselves and their work. Souls is a collaborative group of artists who chose to express their feelings or their emotions through street art. They took Eloise and I to see the murals, which are just off a busy road in Yamirambo, where I live. Here we are. <laughs> I love that it's like hidden away. In the first one, there is a black African woman with a skin head. When you go to prisons, they have to take off your head. It might also look like a sign of cancer. If you look into her eyes so close, you can see that she's crying. She's depressed. She's hopeless. We are not always happy. Sometimes we are sad. Some other times we are happy. That's part of life. Yeah. 
this person is about to write something. Writing is a very, it's a very, very big yeah. tool that can help people to express themselves. She's beautiful, <laughs> even though she has all those negative effects. Still, she's beautiful. Fortunately, just next to her, you'll find another woman whose face is exploding into the biggest smile I've ever seen. Her teeth are bricks removed from the wall, which make her look even more joyous. The last one is this character. There's a guy, big eyes, with an afro. with a black t-shirt. Many Africans, they like to put afro on their hair. So afro is an African hairstyle. Egyptians, as we learned from books, they were somehow not black, not white, so they were somehow yellow or brown, like the guy. This means this is a, a root, a root of African. He has these very light grey eyes, yeah. which seem to me almost questioning. Like he's asking something. So he wanted to show some kind of uh, empathy. Empathy? Yes. We found nothing more bigger or great than to empathize. Yeah. When show empathy, this means that you're human, totally human. Thank you for listening to our radio book on modern myths. There are two more radio books out there, Relationships and Resistance. You can access all the podcasts, including Kinyarwanda versions of the stories, on radiobookrwanda.com. There, you can also find out where you can borrow or buy the physical printed books. Radio Book Rwanda is a new multimedia literary imprint showcasing Rwandan and East African creative voices. There are three radio books, each featuring the work of one writer and one artist. The accompanying podcasts feature dramatized narrations of the text, as well as interviews with the writers, artists, and individuals leaving similar experiences to those found in the stories. Radio Book Rwanda is the brainchild of three publishers who suppress in Kigali, Rwanda, Kwani Trust in Nairobi, Kenya, and No Bindings in Bristol in the UK. It is a new art, new audiences project supported by the British Council's East Africa Arts Programme. Radio Book Rwanda. <laughs> Radio Book Rwanda. <laughs>